we get like to get really geeky in the wine community and talk about this smells like slate, this smells like sandstone, this smells go smell those things. They all smell the same. <laughs> it's and that's truly coming down to kind of that, that how we talk about that and the poetry behind it. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings, drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Track driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the half-hour intern. So ask and you shall receive. I would say about one out of every two times that somebody writes in on the website for jobs that they would want to hear about, they are alcohol-related in some way. So last week, we covered being a bar owner, and to kick off this week, we are going to cover being a small EA, otherwise known as a wine expert. So in today's episode, I speak with Sam Bogue, who is the sommelier for the... Natimius Restaurant Group here in San Francisco. They are responsible for several award-winning restaurants here in the city, including Flower and Water, which is one of the most recognized Italian restaurants in all of San Francisco. So Sam is going to go over what being a sommelier is all about, as well as giving us some tips and tricks for tasting wine at our own house and different food pairing combos that he suggests. Without further ado, here is sommelier. Sam, thanks so much for coming to the show. Thank you for having me. So the first question that I have is, is it sommelier or sommelier or sommelier? How do you say this? Uh, that, that's a great question. Um, a lot of people have trouble with the word, but sommelier, the proper pronunciation. Of so it is, th- what is that, three, four syllables? Sommelier, so four syllables. Yes, okay. exactly. Yeah. I think that's like the big hang up for people is whether or not it's so, three syllables or four syllables. And som for short, and that's what most of us in the industry uh, oh. usually roll with. Well, Som. that's way better. I'm just definitely going to say that for yeah, now Yeah, exactly. Okay. okay, second really important question is, do you just get to drink wine all the time because you're a Psalm? And that's always the first question that people ask me. Uh, and yeah, the answer is yes, we're drinking a lot of wine. Um, pretty much every day I'm tasting up to, you know, 14, 15 wines. Um, but for the most part, spitting, not imbibing, and uh, you know you have to keep a level head throughout yeah, the service. So. Yeah, for sure. So how does this work when you... Actually, all right, we'll get into what you do on a daily basis here in a second. Why mm-hmm. don't we start with how you even became a sommelier in the first place? Cool. Um, what were you doing before this? What piqued your interest in wine? All of it. Yeah, so total, uh, total just random set of circumstances. Uh, studied psychology in college quickly found that that was not for me at all and like most other people who uh, become disenfranchised with college and, and that whole system I dropped out and you know the field that you usually find yourself in after that is in restaurants mm-hmm, um, for sure so that I've been working in for ages uh, you know that was, those were some of my first jobs in high school and just kind of picking up the ball after college there um, busing working your way up to serving to bartending and I just happened to land myself at a really uh, peculiar restaurant in Colorado named Frosca Food and Wine. And uh, they recently won the James Beard Award, which is like the, the Oscars of uh, restaurants uh, for Outstanding Wine Program last year. Um, oh, no way. Yeah, really remarkable culture that they've built around you know wine and beverage and hospitality. And it was through that, really, that piqued my interest specifically into wine. And that's when I started to go through, uh, you know, the certain certification programs and things like that and really 
dive into it. So um, this was a while ago then. How, how long ago was this? Yeah, that was um, that was before I moved to San Francisco back five years ago, I guess. Okay. Uh, and that so that was really like the the tipping point. Um, moving out to San Francisco, I just kept that in mind. Obviously, we're so you close. You had already gotten your certification at this point. Well, uh, part of it. Okay. You know, we can talk about that, but there are four levels essentially within the particular certification program that I'm going through. And I had done the first level and I was definitely, you know, wine conscious and I had, uh, you know, studied and put a little time into that. But once I arrived in San Francisco, started serving and bartending here in San Francisco, and then an opportunity just arose through the current restaurant group that I'm with uh, for a position, started off as an internship and quickly developed into, uh, you know, kind of a, a small A position working the floor now into wine director of the restaurant group. So what is the difference between being a Solomon working the floor versus what you're doing now as a wine director? Really that they're interchangeable. Okay. Um, you know, a lot of sommeliers um, aren't necessarily doing the um, kind of more creative process of selection and curation for wine lists. They're there more to work the floor as a point of sales, uh, to interact with the guest, to you know drive um, guests to buy more unique bottles or whatever it might be to really just boost a restaurant sales. Wine director, you know, you can pretty much guarantee that that person is selecting placements for wine lists. But that does not mean that you're going to be off the floor, you know, and many times, including my case, you're still on the floor selling wine in the role of a sommelier or wine steward. It's essentially a wine waiter. When you say selling wine, I mean, it's only if you're called over to a table, right? Like if somebody requests your services, then you'll come over and and kind of coach them through what bottle is probably going to work best for them. Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, And in my role, that's a a good part of that is... um, doing that floating around, you know, you, you kind of reading guests, not necessarily them calling you over. It's anticipating the guest needs and, and yeah. being able to deliver, uh, from there. But also we run a lot of events through the restaurant group, uh, at which point I am contacting people via email or phone, whatever it might be, meeting with them in person and selling them wine before their event, usually in larger uh, quantities. So what are the types of things that you're usually looking for what questions are you asking people when trying to determine what type of wine is going to be best for them so the first thing uh i almost always ask is what do you normally like to drink or what uh what bottle of wine or glass of wine have you been excited about lately and you know that can i ask you can i mm-hmm. sorry to interrupt can i ask you a question really quick because i i get so irritated when i'm with a friend out and they just ask the server like, what do you think is good, whether it's food or beverage? Because yep. good is the most relative term there could possibly be. Like, yeah, totally you subjective. Like, you know? Totally subjective, yeah. So what do you say if somebody just turns to you and says, like, well, what's really good? You know, at that point, I'll, I'll, it'll always come back to what the guest um, is comfortable with and what they like to drink. So because, again, yeah, it's all subjective. If I give you, you know, what I love to drink right now, it's it's a good chance it's going to be a little obscure. It's going to be a little funky. You know, I've had a lot of wines and, uh, throughout that process, the things that I used to like a lot now maybe don't do it for me. So I like to go to certain flavor profiles that may be very bitter, um, earth driven and sometimes off putting to guess. So if I gave that to them every time, what I love to drink, they're going to, you know, I'm going to get a lot of wine uh, sent back. <laughs> yeah, so sure. it really comes down to asking the guest about their preferences and, 
again, this comes back to the whole thing of, you know, this is completely subjective. So your sweet might be for me, what isn't necessarily sweet, you know, um, you know, X, Y, and Z. And so you have to take what a guest might say, like, I enjoy two buck Chuck, you know, for example. Uh, well, that tells me immediately the wines that you're not going to like. Yeah. And it's a, and it's a process of elimination from there. And, and usually you can just interact with someone and see, you know, where their palate lies and it it becomes pretty clear which wines they're going to like. That's interesting. Yeah. Now talk about a little bit more on the wine director side. How do you determine which wines you're going to add on and how do you curate a wine list for a restaurant? So, uh, you know, first I guess it would come down to theme. Uh, you know, we have, uh, we have four restaurants in the restaurant group right now in a retail shop. Uh, so, uh, for our Spanish restaurant, you know, obviously Spanish, I, we keep it completely specific to Iberian wines. So we're, we're staying in that region for the Italian restaurant. Same thing goes We're we're focusing on Northern it, uh, Italy, uh, throughout the entire wine list. So you can start to narrow it down from there. Um, but as per the selections, uh, we usually like to, uh, take wines that have been more naturally farmed. Uh, so that same process that, you know, that is very common here in San Francisco, organic, uh, is, is generally better, right? You want that on your produce, you want that on your apple. Mm-hmm. Same thing for us reigns true for wine. Uh, it's just about a more artisanal product and something that someone farmed carefully and in the end product, it's usually going to show a little bit better. So that's a strong point that we actually carry throughout a lot of our selections. If it's a smaller operation, is it just kind of a given that it's organic? I mean, because a lot of smaller operations, I imagine, don't have the money to be able to get the labeling for organic, but they it's, are in fact. Uh, it's actually, you'll often see the opposite because in the wine industry, you have many people uh, on who are larger uh, companies. They are buying grapes. Mm-hmm. And so... They're not too careful about where they're um, sourcing those grapes and where they're being purchased. Right, that's a good point. Versus yeah. the smaller domains are actually often the ones who are farmers, and yeah. that's a huge point for us. Where uh, you know those those smaller farmers are hands on with with the grapes, and they know not to spray their vineyards with you know pesticides and um, chemical uh, you know uh, treatments because they know how what that is going to do to that whole system that they have uh, in place there. Yeah. So that that's one side that we really like to push. Uh, we like to, in general, go for uh, what's called, I guess, a more traditional style of wine. So these are wines that see less uh, of a hand in the cellar. So you're going to see um, less chemical treatments to them um, in the actual winemaking process, less oak. Uh, used and a lot of the wines less new oak I should say which is kind of you know when you think about it you're just trying to uh, in a lot of cases mask certain flavors and you're taking away from what we're trying to get to which is just the heart and soul the the terroir where it's coming from uh, and who made it yeah and um, you know so in 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 general we're going for wines in that style wines that might be a little less ripe higher acid and generally that means more food friendly So, so how many wines come across your desk how do they get there is it through distribution, or do you so, have individual yeah. growers bringing them to you? You have, you have, you have it all. So you have uh, growers here in California who produce their own product. They uh, then sell their own product and uh, you know ship it to you. They kind of run the, the the whole process there. You also have importers who bring. You know they go out, they find different domains, different growers, um, purchase large amounts of their wine 
bring it in and either they will sell it themselves or it'll go through another step to a distributor at which point um, you know you'll have some sort of sales representative contact you say hey I want to sit down for a tasting uh, then you know you'll take your time sit down usually through 10 15 wines and so this is the super cool part of your job I, it, you, you, you would how think often so do you do this uh, I, I try and do it Probably every other day, if not every day. Yeah. You get a lot of um, a lot of people trying to get your attention to sell you wine. Yeah. And I try and humor as many of those tastings as I possibly can. For the most part, you know, I I don't want to be rude. I don't, you know, I want to give everyone a chance to show the product that they have, and it's always educational for me. Yeah. Uh, it's a great way to you know learn through doing. Um, so I, I take advantage of that as much as possible. But that being said. When you sit down to a tasting and you, the first wine, you immediately realize these are not the wines that I like. You're still going to have to taste the, the other, you know, 14 wines. So will and they that can be taxing. Yeah, they'll yeah. typically try to bring wines all within the same flavor profile to you at once. No, so. not, not necessarily. Uh, there's just um, certain, certain distributors and certain importers usually have a, a style that they, they, they like and and that's represented in their portfolio Mm -hmm. and you know oftentimes there will absolutely be wines that i love from a portfolio you know while they might have a lot that i'm wouldn't wouldn't want anything to do with yeah but um more often than not in a tasting you're going to get kind of a a snapshot of and and like the generality of what that portfolio is and what those wines are going to be and you know it's hit or miss yeah it's hit or miss yeah yeah so take us through a tasting Mm-hmm. And the things that that are going through your head and okay. what you're trying to taste, and is that any different with a bottle of wine, with a bottle of red versus a bottle of white versus a bottle of champagne? Got it. Um, so you know, first and foremost, you uh, usually you know see the bottle of wine itself. You know, they they pull it out of the bag, and the first thing you see it's aesthetic, and you you kind of take that in, take it into account. Am I going to sell this? Uh, retail out of our salumeria. If the label is super messed up, I can't do that. Uh, I need something that's still going to be pleasing to people and it's going to uh, pique people's interest and, and you know they're going to want to inquire about it. From there, it's just all about whether or not I like the wine. And you know, beyond that, if the wine is a sound wine, like it, is it is it just something really geeky that that I like, or are people actually going to appreciate this wine? Um, that starts with the nose, you know, you smell the wine and from there I can usually almost immediately tell whether or not I'm going to like it. Um, that's still a big stretch. Uh, you know, most of the wines. Can are- you dive into that a little more? Are you able to, or is it too hard to explain what it is that you're smelling and wh- what exactly is happening? Yeah, there? absolutely. Uh, you know, like any, uh, so what I'm looking for is a really, uh, for the most part is a really expressive, uh, aroma or, you know, palette of aromas that is, is coming across in a wine. So when you're smelling it, you're, you know, first and foremost, you're going to smell fruit. All wine is made from grapes. Grapes are fruit. And therefore you will every time smell some degree of fruit. So usually you're going to smell fruit first. uh, And then you have to talk about whether that's, you know, ripe fruit, candied fruit, dried fruit, or baked fruit. Uh, From there, it's non-fruit aromas. So, you know, these could be uh, herbal characters, spices, 
organic earth, like leaves and things like that, or inorganic earth, like mineral qualities, as in like rocks and things like that. So I have a question about that. I mean, how many of these things in real life have you actually smelled, eaten, whatever, mm-hmm. that you're able to give these qualities to the way something, you know, to the way that the wine smells? You know, mo- for the for the majority of it, you know, uh, there, there are certainly smells that you can identify with, with plenty of things you or me might have smelled. And, you know, a lot of sommeliers will go to farmer's markets, for example, and just smell through, you know, a whole selection of, uh, fruits and vegetables and flowers and things like that to kind of um, add more things to their holster as far oh, as really uh, descriptors that they can use and and that and that's really a big part of what our job is is you know it's kind of like the poetry of wine selling right you, you know, there's not there's not roses in that glass of wine there's not you know verbena or anything like that but using those descriptors in moderation without getting too precious uh, is a great way to help sell a wine. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, there are certain things that people would describe in wines that absolutely don't have any aromas. For example, stones and rocks. And uh, we get like to get really geeky in the wine community and talk about this smells like slate, this smells like sandstone, this smells... Go smell those things. They all smell the same. It's and that's truly coming down to kind of that, that how we talk about that and the poetry behind it. But at the tasting, uh, you know, I'm I'm just smelling. I'm trying to smell something that I'm intrigued about. Okay. And uh, more so, you have some wines that really don't show a lot uh, aromatically, and I you know those have their place. And certain varieties of grapes are going to inherently be that way, where they don't show uh, pronounced nose. And so be it. But for the most part, I'm looking for something intriguing in the nose. And um, if that's there, that's kind of, you know, leading in the next step, which is tasting the wine. And then from there, you're going to go through the structural assessment of it. Is it dry? Is it dry being no sugar, mm-hmm. right? Or sweet being, you know, high uh, residual sugar left after the fermentation? Uh, is it going to be high in acidity, right? Is it making your mouth water, looking to have another sip of it? Is it big and kind of flabby and... Uh, a little over the top or is it way too thin and light or is it somewhere in the middle you know uh, you you run through all of these things but really what it comes down to is you know do I like the wine or not and uh, I'm trying to curate wines essentially that you know I would love to sit down and drink but I know that you know if you sit down you're going to have an option as well that might be close to you and might be dear to you so. so back when we were talking about your role as a wine director you were talking about sticking with the region and stuff like that I mm-hmm. imagine that is obviously almost even above that is that you just need enough of a diversity of flavors that if somebody comes in and they want something, you better be able to have that sort of flavor profile. Exactly. And yeah, that's absolutely part of it. You need to be able to hit on all cylinders of, you know, what guests might be asking for. And beyond that, you need to have a selection that is, you know, interesting enough that people uh, in the industry, for example, will want to come in and be able to find something new and adventurous that they haven't had before. But also those guests who are really comfortable with, you know, um, the Napa staples and the two buck chuck drinkers, you know, are going to have something they can come in and identify with. So it's, it's, it's having uh, a mix of all those flavor profiles uh, in each of the restaurant groups to really please everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Are you able to give us any uh, generalized, like best tips for food pairing with wine? Yeah, it's a. Uh, I mean, some of your favorites. Yeah, absolutely. It's a uh, and and that's a, a tricky game, and it always will be. But I think 
that there are certain qualities in wines that, uh, you know, above all, it might be, you know, the flavor profile and matching that with the correct flavor profile of the food versus, you know, you don't want to overthink things too much with the body of the wine or the, you know, the certain structural elements of a wine. If a wine tastes like, you know, mussels it has that kind of brininess to it well hell it's going to be amazing with uh, some mussels or oysters right or wait some you've had a wine that tasted like mussels that sounds terrible absolutely well you know you you think about like oyster shell or or and something and that's something more saline right um but the you know see this where like you you describing a wine like that i could never imagine tasting those flavors and it makes me wonder if i if my nose is broken or something but is it just because you've tasted so many wines that now you notice these weird flavors creeping up that you never noticed before? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's, it's, it is uh, something with repetition that you do start to pick out a little more. And you know, like I said, you might not think of that right away just because it's not the first thing you think of. But if I pour you a glass of Muscadet and it, and it really does have uh, these aromas of like seashell and um like iodine and and this real saline character to the wine and i say that to you while you're drinking it i think you'll start to make the connection yeah for sure and i you mean know, at the very least placebo effect is about to take hold and i'm gonna i'm gonna taste it just because you said it for sure exactly and you know it's it's a glass full of you know different compounds after a fermentation process right none of those things are actually in the wine it's just how we identify it and how we like to, you know, conceptualize those yeah. those elements in the wine. So, yeah. yeah, again, it's all subjective. Yeah, but yeah, in general, uh, for for pairings, it's you know, uh, a lot of people like to say um, where it grows is 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 what it goes with. You know, so like uh, when you start to break down that regional uh, area, those are going to be the best wines. For, uh, you know that you should go for for pairings uh, you know that could be in northern piemonte they have a little pasta dish uh, some it's called annulotti some of their dumplings filled with you know various pork parmesan egg real fatty style of dish the red wine that they drink in the region nebbiolo uh is a really elegant kind of floral style of wine it's not super heavy it can still go with pasta but it has uh, a lot of a uh, compound called tannin in it and that tannin is the same thing you have in for example an oversteep tea it's a bitterness and it's astringency and it's something that literally binds to the fat molecules in your mouth and helps precipitate them out so you take a really fatty pasta wow. and you have it against something like that it just creates a pairing you know that really it's multi-sensory at that point does that work really with new world wine or only in yeah Europe? absolutely and i think that the, the, you know the most identifiable um pairing that we have here in the states could be something like uh, steak and Cabernet Sauvignon. You you have these big, powerful wines um, coming out of Napa, or you know uh, different parts of Sonoma here in, here in California that again have a lot of that that character, that tannin to them. Maybe a little more fruit. They're a little more juicy, a little more um, fruit forward and fun. But when you pair them up with a steak that again has a lot of that fat. It's got a lot of those like sanguine, bloody characters to it. It's going to make a really dynamic pairing, and that's probably the most classic yeah. uh, one that you can find here in the states. Is there a matter of skill that's in- involved in this? Like, if somebody obviously, if somebody had like nose trauma or something, yeah. that's going to be a major problem. But if somebody has allergies a lot, are they going to be able to smell these things or taste these things, or are they kind of screwed? You know, uh, I would say that. Yeah, allergies are might be an extreme 
an extreme side of things if you were like truly suffering from like chronic allergies or something along those lines that it might not be the field for you you know sadly uh, it's very organoleptic right you're using all your senses here to really uh draw on to things and, and pull out the small details of wines um i mean that that being said there's still plenty that you can get from you know tasting a wine right and uh you know actually having it on your palate uh, so you in my i guess my question is you don't you don't feel that you have some sort of like superhuman nose not at all they like say that. so uh, I, don't, I don't know what like the statistic is but there are people who are super tasters quote unquote um and who are genetically predisposed to be able to taste better mm-hmm. than others i can guarantee you i'm not one of those people <laughs> And from there, I think that just is, uh, you know, repetition and you might not be able to talk about those things in, in, in confidence after just a few times of tasting a wine, but you taste thousands of wines, you taste a hundred thousand wines, you start to then, you know, like anything else, it's just a skill. Yeah. And, you know, just as, as anything else, it's, you know, easily learned when you apply yourself to it. Yeah. And so that's kind of the other half of that, um, educational system that i'm going through yes it's all self-study but it you know not only is it book work and uh that and you know geography and language and all of these things um but it's also tasting and you know learning to be comfortable with with wine in that sense yeah so that was the perfect way to end that for what i wanted to ask Mm -hmm. which is talk about confidence and comfort level and stuff like that back when you kind of first started down this path i imagine there's very much a like fake it till you make it type yeah. of mentality when you yeah. first start becoming a small yay, especially if you have like maybe you know your first time that a wine distributor comes to you and lays out some wines for you, and you know that they probably know more about wine than you do, yep. but you have to sit here and judge their wines. What are all those first experiences like, and how do you gain the confidence to really start judging things? Yeah, it's I mean, and that comes from you know, in in my particular uh case you know i had a, a a great mentor um you know kind of in two parts one was back in colorado there is a gentleman named bobby stuckey he's a master sommelier and uh just the way that he would talk about wine and uh the way that he would present education to his staff was just something even if you you really weren't totally captivated and and, and pulled into what he was saying you just you could really you you learned to speak about wine just based off of how he presented it and how he spoke about it yeah and you know that that was ages ago and i I, and you know i didn't even work extremely closely with him but it was just kind of osmosis that you know really just taking those qualities on but the other was my uh my mentor here in uh san francisco who was one of the owners of the restaurant group he was doing the wine programs previous to gino and myself taking over uh the wine for the restaurant group and he was very good about sitting in with uh those reps or whatever the circumstance might be and tasting with us and uh, pushing us to ask questions about the wines even if they were bad questions right and to just slowly build that that confidence uh in into wine but it, it's daunting it's a huge subject i the you know the more i learn about it the less i feel i actually know it's, <laughs> it's truly one of those things where every time you you turn a corner you see oh shit there's you know five more corners to go around um, Does so, it ever make you nervous when you have someone come into the restaurant to ask you questions about wine and you can tell that they really know what they're talking about with wine? Yeah, you know, it it, it used to, absolutely. Uh, not, not anymore. I think that it's a rarity that you find, you know, 
someone who like, you know, my, my biggest fear was someone that that's kind of abrasive and who, who really wanted to like try and flaunt their wine knowledge or, or something like that in front of someone. And, and you know, uh, and it was more of an ego battle than anything else. Um, you know, I realize that people aren't like that. They're yeah. inherently, you know, kind and, and especially you know, if they're drinking wine. Especially, exactly. All I'm trying to do is get you a bottle of wine and <laughs> and, and for you to have a good night. You know what I mean? I'm not yeah. the the type of salesman who's trying to to hit you over the head, trying to sell you something expensive. I'm just I'm truly trying to get you to have the best experiences that you possibly can. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that I mean that that confidence, you know, just slowly. It's you, the only way that you can get it is through doing it and yeah. you know it, it was just a matter of trial and error and making some mistakes and learning from those mistakes and uh yeah so as over this time you've developed this more refined palate do you find that that's changed the way that you drink beer do you find that that changed the way you drink coffee the way you eat food yeah well coffee i drink about six times more than i ever have <laughs> Um, but I think that's safe to say for most people, you know, who are working a lot. Uh, but y- yeah, it, your, your palate changes slightly and, you know, it's always interesting to look back and I, I'll think about, uh, the beers or the wines that I, I loved two years ago. And to me, those might seem unexciting now, but those are all still, you know, like things that I'll, I'll, I'll love to go back and, and, you know, reminisce about and, and, and enjoy, but certainly it's like a band you liked in high school. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it has that nostalgia to it. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, will always, you always hold dear to yourself, but beer, I mean, is my, my savior, right? You, you offered me wine or beer when I came in and it's when I'm not at work and I'm after you, you know, you taste through 20 wines and the last thing you want to drink is, is more wine. That's so, funny. I'm yeah. glad that, yeah, that's the whole reason that I offered you beer. I was yeah. like, cause I almost guarantee you he's going to say no to wine. I yeah. don't drink wine so much. Exactly. On my, on my off time, it's, it's mostly beers. Okay. Yeah. Is that, so that's a very regular thing. It's, it's almost hard for you to drink wine away from work now. Yeah. You know, it, in, in the circumstance of just like hanging out and having, you know, like something refreshing, I, I still taste a lot of wines on my off time when I'm studying. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, or when I'm going out to dinner, you know, wine to me is still always going to be that beer or cocktails yeah. in, in the realm of, of food. Dying, and yeah. yeah, so, uh, but, you know, it's just a beer is, is kind of my end of the night or end of day go to or a really like light refreshing style of either white wine or sparkling wine because mm-hmm. anything that's just gonna you know reinvigorate you is what i'm going for do you find that in addition to uh just heightening your taste do you find that you've changed in any other areas of your life since you started down this path yeah definitely uh yeah i mean it's it's coincided with a you know a time in my life of just development and growth and going from you know what most restaurant jobs are which is uh you're not necessarily committed to that no one really wants to be a waiter or a bartender their entire lives right it's uh a lot of people view it as something very intermediate it pays the bills and you know usually it pays well and that's that's great but um you know taking on more responsibility like this has you know changed me in every way that you would think it's it's moving from um what's just a you know a job that that's fun and you know is really personal. You get to meet some people and it has these other lovely qualities to an actual career. Yeah. And, and so this is that something process, that you would see yourself doing 20 years from now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And not in, not within the, the respects that I don't, I don't, in 20 years, I'm probably not going to be a wine director for a restaurant crew, but it's, you can bet that it's going to be some wine related, uh, career. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. 
So if you could give advice to anybody who is really into wine, but maybe is a little bit nervous because they don't think that they have the skills to do this, or they're really into wine and they've just never really thought about becoming a sommelier, what advice would you give? I think this is an easy one. I I think that most people in uh, the wine industry and sommeliers are really people who are self-taught. You know, and and that and that makes it easy in that sense. So really, all it takes is having that desire and having that drive to learn. You know, and that there's so many resources out here. Uh, you know, like like we've never had before. You know, in regards to wine, you you obviously have the old staples like books, right? There's so many podcasts now that I'm I'm seeing that are just you know revolutionizing how you're learning about these subjects and. Uh, videos you can if you're obviously here in California you have this uh, just so much access to wine country and places who are happy to just take you in and teach you and um, you know that's really where it starts the other suggestion would be to find someone who has that passion towards the wine industry or you know towards beverages or whatever it might be and to just ask them about it you know i i I think the for sommeliers were really built on a career of interacting with people because that's the heart of it you know is is sales and floating around and and hospitality and making sure people have what they need and that they're enjoying themselves and that's integrated and really into who we are and so if you come to someone in the industry and you say hey i'm 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 curious i would love to learn more i bet you nine times out of ten that person is going to want to sit down with you and and educate you and and try and explain you know what drives them and their passion so yeah, yeah definitely man like you right now what restaurant are you at uh, everyone go see sam yeah so it's the natimius restaurant group uh farm and water central kitchen ache du nord trick dog slew maria yeah so if you guys are in san francisco go stop by ask to see sam and he'll educate you some more we'll drink some wine yeah definitely thanks so much sam we yeah my pleasure it. thank you for having me